From the Pennsylvania Convention Center in Philadelphia, it's the ASN Kinney Week 2014 podcast, a discussion of the latest scientific and clinical advances presented at this year's meeting. ASN thanks Opco Health Renal Division for support of this podcast. Welcome to the first day of Kidney Week 2014. I am Sharon Moe. I'm president of the American Society of Nephrology. I have a distinguished group of individuals that are with me today to talk about all the things that have happened. Uh, I'm Andre Shaw. I'm from Washington University in St. Louis. I'm Maya Rodriguez. I'm from Mount Sinai in New York City. Hi, I'm Miles Wolf. I'm from Northwestern University in Chicago. And so we are here to talk about all the great things that have happened on today. So, so Andre, what was your very favorite thing today? Your speech. Oh, <laughs> the no, president's no. address is usually not something I'm looking forward to at all, but I <laughs> felt that since I was a member of the program committee, I should go, and you gave an incredibly inspiring talk today. Well, thank you. I, I was, you know, Doug Melton talked about this as well, but... The, some of the graphs that you showed about the expenditures that the U.S. government spends on end-stage renal disease, comparing it to the size of the NIH budget, comparing it to the size of the NIDDK budget, I had no idea how small the NIDDK budget was. I thought, I'm not a nephrologist, so, you know, I thought dialysis was the the cure to end-stage renal failure, but you brought up the issue that we need a, a major effort like the X Project to actually design a new kidney, design kidney replacement, and, and that was the first time I ever realized how important an issue that was, so I thought your talk was very inspiring. That's great, that's great, and I, I think one of the nice things about Kidney Week is actually bringing together people from lots of different facets of science to really think differently, and what I was trying to convey this morning was how kidney weak and how kidney disease really needs to think outside the box with people from different disciplines. And I think when you walk through the posters, there's, we've, done a, we've tried very hard this year to arrange the posters in somewhat of a logical sequence so that people don't spend their entire time going across the conference hall, but actually to have the time to stop and talk. Um, did you guys get some opportunity to talk at posters today? And My favorite part of ASN is always the poster sessions. I think it's actually the my favorite part of being in academic medicine is the relationships with people from all over the world where you might not have seen in somebody for a year and you bump into them at a poster and you're mid-sentence immediately in a conversation that you were having a year earlier. And I think it's it's just a great opportunity we have to make friends and colleagues and countries from all over the world. And the poster session is really the best free-form avenue for that kind of interchange. Yeah, I go to a fair number of these large meetings, and what I notice that is different about Kidney Week is that it is tradition for us to move from the large symposium to go over to Kidney Week, uh, to go over to the poster sessions, and, and you always run into your colleagues and your friends at mm -hmm. the poster sessions, and so it just becomes this habit and this tradition of going there, and I really like it. Yeah. What about the first time you came to Kidney Week when you were a trainee and you were meandering through the posters? What recommendation would you give to, to trainees to try to engage that conversation to begin those relationships? I think you first have to know what you're interested in, and that can be a very overwhelming question when you're a trainee. I first came to ASN, it was Denver, and I was a second-year resident at the time. Oh, and I remember the first day feeling quite overwhelmed. And then I sat down with the ASN book, and I saw there were different tracks. And there were tracks specifically for me that did not feel so overwhelming. And that's how I 
went about it the second day, and I found it a lot more enjoyable. I think I found that ASN the first few times was simultaneously inspiring and, as you said, overwhelming and a bit of a sensation of being lost uh, in a sea of an enormous number of nephrology-related people. I think one thing that I have experienced uh, as a trainee and then I've subsequently tried to do later on when I was more established was take trainees around at the posters and introduce them to some of the people and talk to them and pay some attention to them and review the posters with them. And I, it gives people a sense of, of belonging and it makes this enormous meeting more manageable size-wise. I really like that. Um, I always try to stop by the posters when, it, when people look very young so that I know they're a trainee, <laughs> which is easy. It gets easier and easier each year to do that. But, um, but just because I think it's very important that um, as more senior faculty that we really encourage um, trainees to go into nephrology. And this has been a big, important uh, emphasis of the ASN. And I know we had a great program uh, last night with the training program. Directors, Myra, you want to tell yes. us about that? Yes, I'm one of two fellows that serves on the ASN uh, training program directors executive committee. And this year in particular, uh, John Roberts and myself wanted, that's the other fellow, wanted to make it so that fellows felt like this. there was something special for them here. Uh, there's an emphasis on medical students and recruitment, which is very important for nephrology. Uh, but we also wanted fellows to feel special, like there were specific events for them. Last night we had a fellows reception, um, as opposed to last year, was very, very well attended. And uh, it was we, we divided the room up into uh, particular areas in terms of medical students and residents. And so there was a, a sense of belonging for the residents, for the medical students, and the fellows, of course. And we actually have lined up uh, three events, one of which is completely new, which is a fellows forum later this week, where the fellows get one-on-one -on -one time with junior faculty members that have switched career tracks. Uh, maybe they began in public, uh, for instance, one began in pr uh, private practice and is now a researcher, and vice versa. Mm, okay. And uh, within five years of uh, being out of their fellowship, and I think it's going to be a unique opportunity. No, that, that sounds great. No, it was jammed. The room was just jammed last mm -hmm. night. So if someone listening missed it, there's always next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Milo, congratulations. You are the Young Investigator Awardee. How does that feel? It feels pretty shocking and surreal. Um, it's, a, it's a huge honor, it's a huge amount of collaborators and team members that contributed to making our research program go and have it ultimately lead to this. Um, great mentorship from people from around the country. And so uh, it, it's just to think back at the, the first time at the ASN in San Antonio was my first. Um, and from that point to now, it's completely not believable that life would end up this way. But it is certainly very exciting. But I think you thought outside the box as a trainee, and sometimes I think we, we tend to want to categorize our ideas after other individuals that are already doing that. And I think your success in part is because you, you question the norm. And I think that's something that people do here at the meeting. And we want to embrace that. And I think that's what, again, the posters and the sessions are all about is presenting different data. So, Andre, what's your thoughts on that? Questioning the norm. <laughs> I think it is what makes science fun for many of us. There you go. Is to... Uh, is to think outside the box and 
really just kind of approach an issue as if you don't know anything and just ignore everything that everybody thinks is true and see <laughs> what comes out. Yeah. No, any, any widely held dogma is a target for <laughs> a research study. Yeah. I remember spending many hours in the library asking, why do we, why do we say this and spending hours and hours to track it back to some obscure paper in 1942 that was totally irrelevant, but it was the one that everyone had put on their reference, you know, after time after time after time, and, and that's what makes science and learning. I also think it's fun, too, to, to, to think outside your area of expertise. So if you are, for example, a bone person, maybe that same protein is doing something in a whole other target organ or a whole other tissue, and going to those sessions at the ASN, don't always go to the things you know at the ASN. Go to things you don't know as well. And sometimes you get great ideas from that. Well, I got into my area of research because I was fascinated in med school by the fact that X-linked hypophosphatemia is one of the few X-linked dominant diseases. I just thought that this was an incredible nugget of semi-useful information that I just held on to. Maybe some pimping attending would ask, and I would have the answer. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, I just kept my eye on XLH, and then I was doing work on vitamin D and calcitriol metabolism and this whole concept of why patients don't make enough 125 in renal disease really never had a great explanation mm -hmm. that made any sense. And then they discovered the cause of XLH, and so taking in something that was found in a completely different field and applying it uh, to what you do, I think that's how you pull from column A, pull from column B, and create something completely different. So I think people do need to venture out a little bit of the echo chambers that, that we reside in at the meeting following the tracks, and mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that too, going mostly to right. uh, bone stuff. but. But, you know, look beyond and think about things. And I think the pre-courses are also a nice way to really think about something different. Go to a pre-course that you either know about or don't know about. But I know you were running the, the uh, very active in the genetics pre-course, Andre. Were there some things in the pre-course uh, on genetics that surprised you or excited you? The, the pre-course in genetics was took place on Tuesday and Wednesday, and it really was focused and oriented toward practitioners who might be thinking about getting into genetics and practitioners who might want to set up a clinical practice that would be focused uh, on genetics. Um, the organizers, I felt like, did a really good job of making sure that everybody covered basic material. Um, we had some pretty good discussions about what the right method of choice is and um, what the you know, how the genetic revolution with whole genome sequencing happening, how that's going to change what we do and the controversy over what are actionable mutations and how this will change your practice. So I think it was a very exciting and, and very timely course. That's great. And we had a, an all-time record of uh, 2,000 attendees at all of the uh, pre-courses. So um, almost uh, 13,000 at the meeting. So it's it's been a really, really busy, busy meeting. So, And what was so far this morning, what was the, the uh, favorite poster? <laughs> I have a favorite talk. Okay, there you go, favorite talk. <laughs> Going back to questioning the norm, um, when you mentioned that, it made me think of this talk because I think change and progress comes from exactly that, from questioning the norm, from wanting uh, to change something or make an impact on something. And I thought 
it was refreshing to hear about the social media mm -hmm. um, and how we can incorporate social media into the field of nephrology. And I think a sign of, a, of an excellent field is a field that changes and adapts to changing times and technology. I've used um, social media with the National Hispanic Medical Association, and it's worked. Mm -hmm. um, it works for job hunts, and it can work for the field of nephrology, which um, I thought it was good to incorporate such a progressive talk. Oh, that sounds great. No. I mean, we would be remiss to not mention Doug Melton's oh, unbelievably great talk this morning. Um, I've known about his work for many years. I know his devotion to curing diabetes because he has two children that are affected with it. Mm. And the reality that stem cells will be able to be harnessed to actually cure this disease to... Uh, make islets at industrial level quantities yes. was truly amazing, and the amount of work that it, you know, that it required to figure out how to take a stem cell every step of the way uh, into a fully functioning, uh, you know, beta cell in the islet. I, I was just astounded, and the talk was beautiful. It was so clearly laid out. It was. He did a fabulous job, and and it really gives you hope that you know, we can do some things like that in, in kidney as well. And we had a, a pre-course on build the kidney, and it's far more complex, but the principles can be applied. And I, I think we have to dream big. And I think that's what he's done is he's dreamed big and he's worked hard. And I do believe that we can do that as well in the kidney world. Beta cell is probably the ideal cell, and diabetes is probably the ideal disease for this type of technology to prove itself. The thought of trying to uh, transition this to creating kidney tubular function, the architectural complexity is much greater, I think, than getting uh, the beta cells have to sense glucose and make insulin. Mm -hmm. And the kidney, there's probably some functions of the kidney that can be simplified down, some of the endocrine functions perhaps, but the tubular architecture and the glomerular architecture, I think, is it's going to be challenging. Another layer of complexity. It's definitely going to be challenging, but on the other hand, I do believe that getting the right matrix with that, and that was part of the conversation in the pre-course, was that it's not just a cell; it's a cell combining with the matrix, and I think that that feedback is really critical for um, telling it or helping to direct a cell in vivo a little bit more. And, you know, maybe applying combinations of dialysis and um, different matrix proteins in different cells. At least that's where I'm dreaming. So. Well, and that's what I liked <laughs> about your talk. I really felt like when I thought about this in the past, it seems like an impossible task to create something as complicated as a kidney. But what you were trying to get across was that we have to aspire to try hard problems and solve hard problems and we're never going to get there if we just don't jump in and try to do this. And so that, that's what I really enjoyed about your talk this morning. I, I thought the most striking thing, though, about your talk was the investment in research per affected individual with given diseases. And it's something that I've thought about for a long time. And, and really, kidney disease is disproportionately a disease of the poor, minorities, and the disenfranchised. And I think that slide that you presented shows how powerful a good lobby can be to direct funds to cancer and to HIV. Right. And who is currently speaking for and advocating for the kidney patients 
there's not nearly as strong and organized a lobbying voice. Right. It's something we need to work on. It, it's true, and I think it's also hard because many of the patients who are most affected are, are um, more ill and on dialysis, and it's a constant, it's a constant, constant force that we need to drive all of this. Um, so, but w the ASN's been working hard on, on policy and advocacy, and there are a number of policy sessions here this week. Um, I'd like to just highlight a couple of those, and uh, one is actually on, um, on research, what's going on in research, what's going on in research advocacy. The other is on um, maintenance of certification, and we have actually a special session on Saturday for members to come and talk about maintenance of certification. It's, it's an ever-changing, ever-confusing system, and uh, it's probably not going to go away, but we are in a position where we might be able to help shape and, and change things. And similarly with research, I think having a positive attitude that we can make change is really, really important. So, so as, a, as a trainee, as Myra, I mean, what, what, what makes you want to come back what makes you want to go in? What made you want to go into nephrology? Um, a mentor. In, mm -hmm. uh, my um, during my residency, I developed a very good relationship with um, someone on an elective I did in nephrology, and I her bedside manner, the way she explained physiology in a clear cut way that I really was excited about, uh, made me trust her. Um, and she offered her help to me on my applications mm -hmm. for subspecialties without really having an agenda, just to help. And I thought that was so sincere, so much so that she's my dad's nephrologist okay. uh, now. Um, and that relationship really did carry over throughout my uh, residency. And then I think the, the thing that really pushed me further into nephrology was my father uh, needing a kidney doctor who spoke Spanish. And uh, living in the Bronx, you would think, Bronx, New York, you would think that wouldn't be that difficult. Um, that mentor does not speak Spanish. We ended up uh, going that route because she's so great. But I, th I figured there is a need here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, diabetes, hypertension disproportionately affect Hispanic Americans. And um, I, I, I feel really strongly that uh, I had a role in this field. That's great. That's great. You also got to attend the, the training program director's uh, meeting. Yes. Uh, I know they had a, a, a eight-hour uh, meeting, it <laughs> seemed like, with lots and lots of issues on that. That was very exciting to yeah. watch. Yeah. Not per, per se maybe to uh, give my own opinion because yeah. a lot of it is way above my head, but, um, but it was very exciting to watch and the, the passion they exhibit for their own programs and for nephrology in the U.S. and, and the current trends. Um, it's exciting to to partake in. We have um, the one thing about the ASN is because we have so many people coming from all over. It's a nice way to bring together different people that may otherwise not have meetings. So we have lots of meetings the day before. Training program directors, the division chiefs this year. We had a, a forum of a community. Um, sorry, a forum a forum of um, international organizations and another forum of some of the patient groups, just again to try to get everyone conversing so that we can build that grassroots advocacy and move together. Um, what's on your schedule to see tomorrow, guys? Tomorrow, well, the plenary uh -huh. and more posters and there were a couple of uh, oral presentations in the afternoon of the abstracts that I have marked. 
I can't quote them chapter and verse at the moment. <laughs> One of my methods for not becoming overwhelmed is I only look at tomorrow's lectures the <laughs> night before, <laughs> and I plan my day that there way. There you go. That works as well. <laughs> so. But next is uh, hypertension management and ESRD at 430 for me. Okay, great. Much and time? I am uh, giving an endowed lectureship in memory of Michelle Wynn, who was a beloved, very popular member of ASN. This meeting was really one of the high points of her year. Uh, Michelle was really a leader in the podocyte biology field. And um, at the age of 48, she passed away last July. And the ASN, in recognition of her scientific achievements and her leadership in promoting the careers of women and minority, uh, established this endowed lectureship for her. and. Uh, she asked that I give this lecture for her, and uh, I'm very honored by it. And um, that's what's on my agenda tomorrow. Wow. Well, it, it, it is, and I'm glad you, you brought that up, because it'll be, A, an excellent lecture, but also a, a true tribute to, to Michelle and all that she has done. And again, the friendships that develop through nephrology are, are really strong, and that's something that's very, very positive. And, I'd also like to point out the plenary session in the morning, which is uh, um, going to be a great speaker. He's going to talk all about how genetics can actually be used to help track human time or um, travel over time. So from Aboriginal to Native cultures, and I think it will be um, an entirely, uh, just a really, really fun lecture. So in choosing the plenary speakers Dr. Quaggan and I, Dr. Quaggan's the program director, actually, we had some ideas, and we actually watched all the YouTube videos on all of these speakers to make sure they were really good speakers. So um, it was uh, a lot of work, but we, we wanted that uh, excitement um, that's so, so important. So. And the Homer Smith lecture tomorrow is Friedhelm Hildebrandt, Great. who is one of the leading investigators in the human genetics of pediatric nephrotic diseases, and that should be another state-of-the-art. It will be fabulous. It will be fabulous. So the plenaries, sometimes it's easy when you're tired because you were out late to not get up, but they shouldn't be missed. They are just state-of-the-art lectures. So I encourage everyone who might be listening to this after having gone out for dinner to set that alarm clock and get up. <laughs> Absolutely. And on that, we'll go ahead and close, and I'd like to thank everyone here with me today. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the ASN Kinney Week 2014 podcast. ASN thanks Opco Health Renal Division for support of this podcast. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.